Scripture reading this evening will be from 2 Kings chapter 5 and verses 1 through 5. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant, war- a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. And the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send the letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. Good afternoon. We are thankful for the opportunity to be together this afternoon. We are glad to have each and every one here. And we have some who are visiting with us. We're thankful that you're here and that we have an opportunity to look into God's Word together once again. Hope you have your Bibles open to 2 Kings chapter 5. That's where we're going to be studying here in just a moment. 2 Kings chapter 5. A few weeks ago, we looked at lessons from Rahab the harlot. And Rahab is an interesting character in the scriptures because she is given a very high honor in that she is included in the lineage of Jesus. But whenever we are first introduced to her and, as, and, and throughout scripture in the Old and New Testament, She is always referred to as harlot, Rahab. And we considered some lessons from that, but she is a Gentile woman who ended up being accepted among the Israelites and finds herself in a very historic place in Scripture. And today we're going to look at another example, another character, another Example of where we see God's grace. This time it's going to be a Gentile man. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we are introduced to Naaman. And this man is a very interesting person because he says in 2 Kings chapter 5, in verse 1, where we are first introduced to him, that he is captain of the army of the Arameans. So here he is, he is a warrior, he's described as a valiant warrior, so he was a very successful warrior. He was someone who was very brave and courageous and the things that you might expect from someone who would be a captain in an army. But here he is, not only is he a Gentile, he is also one of the enemies of Israel. Very similar in background to Rahab. And as you might expect, someone like this would be highly regarded as he was. He's described as a great man with his master. Highly respected. Because God was with him. And that would probably shock us a little bit, that God is with someone who is from the enemy. But what is perhaps the most shocking about this great warrior is that he is a leper. 
And as many of us who are probably very familiar with the Old Testament, we are familiar that lepers are deemed as people who are unclean. And that is how we are introduced to Naaman. Someone who is unclean, ritually. Someone who, if he were an Israelite, would be asked to leave the community. Someone who is certainly an outsider. And what we see is a story of him finding healing through God's power. And we see that he is made new. And that is certainly a picture of redemption and grace. And it's a picture of our salvation, as we will see as we study this evening. But I want us to continue the narrative that we began reading. And we, Jonah led us in the first five verses, but we'll continue in verse 6. It says, He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel." So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not... Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. What we will see is that these lessons from Naaman in this occasion, this narrative, will help us, I think, come to understand God's grace better. Understanding God's mercy and His faithfulness and His kindness as well. And so, let us think of a few, and this is not going to be an exhaustive list, we don't have time to do that this afternoon, but I want us to think of at least three important, very, very important lessons that can help us in understanding some things about Naaman. And the first is that cleansing is by God's grace. Because here Naaman is per- pictured as this successful warrior. But there is one thing that he is unable to conquer. And that is leprosy. Here is disease that he cannot overcome himself. 
And you have to think about someone that would be great and that would be a valiant warrior and someone who, and particularly men, we have this problem. We like to take care of things ourselves, don't we? If there's a problem, we like to fix it. We like to be the ones, not just for our own glory, but we like to be the ones in charge. We like to be able to say, I did this. We don't like relinquishing control and letting go of the reins a lot of times. But here is the one thing that has stopped Naaman. That he cannot cure this himself. And you continue on in this narrative as we are introduced to the king of Aram. And how the king of Aram, he wants the king of Israel to cure Naaman's leprosy because he could not do it. Don't you think that the king would want his number one guy on the battlefield to have a long life, to be of good health? And as a king, someone who is used to being in charge and just saying, fix this, do what I say. Here he is unable to cure his warrior. And then Naaman meets the prophet of God. Elisha. And Elisha is the one who is able to tell Naaman what he needs to do. And Naaman came before Elisha with his horses and his chariots. You have to imagine he's doing a little bit of grandstanding, right? Look at how important I am. Look at why I deserve to be cured. Look at what I'm able to help offer you. If I can come with this kind of caravan, imagine what I could give you. And Elisha sent a messenger to him in verse 10, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. All you have to do is go to the Jordan River and dip seven times. And you'll be clean. You'll, your flesh will be restored. And we know that Naaman was hesitant, but after he comes to do this, in verse 15, we did not continue the reading this far, but in verse 15, it says, When he returned to the man of God, that is Elisha, with all his company, and came and stood before him, he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in, in all the earth but in Israel, so please take a present from your servant now. That what Naaman has come to understand is that God, the God of Israel, is the one true God. And you can still see that he is very much influenced by the pagan ideas of the world, even in this statement. But what you understand is that he is coming to reckon with the true power of Yahweh, of the God of Israel. That he has been unable to cleanse himself, his king, his master, has been unable to cleanse him and restore him to health. No doctor has been able to restore him to health. It came from the prophet in Israel that he was able to deliver a message to him. If he would go dip in the Jordan seven times, then he would be healed. And what is amazing throughout all of this is that 
All of this was spurred on by one servant girl. At the very beginning, she's not given a lot of airtime here, is she? But in 2 Kings 5 and in verse 2, it says, Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. This little girl, she had enough faith and understanding that the one person that could heal Naaman would be God. And she said, I wish that he would go to the prophet that's in Israel in Samaria. Because he would be able to give the answer to him. And so what you see throughout all of this is that faith in God and in His grace and in His power, that is where the cleansing truly is. It wasn't in the water. It was in the power of God. And what God is able to, to give, cleansing and restoration and health. And so we are first reckoning with the weakness that was within the power and the plans of men. And we are impressed with the power of God and His grace. I think that is one of the most important lessons that we can learn from this narrative here. With the narrative of Naaman. But then what we also learn is that Naaman begins to model for us what true faith really is and what true faith really looks like. And again, this is a very impressive point here because what we have to begin to remember is that Naaman, he's a Gentile. He is not a person in Israel that has become familiar with the story of God. He is not familiar with who God is. He, though, begins to understand some things and he is very much learning and he's very much a work in progress, but he acts in faith and obedience. And he is someone who certainly is on this journey, isn't he, of faith and growth? In 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 11, after he is told by Elisha's messenger to go and to dip in the Jordan seven times, it says, Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. That he should just be, this should be just easy. It should just come as at the snap of his finger. But faith doesn't really work like that, does it? Faith is not really like that, where it just comes at the snap of a finger. Faith has to overcome challenges, doesn't it? Faith has to overcome doubts. Faith has to grow. It has to overcome obstacles, and it has to embrace those obstacles. To progress. And we know that he complains about this there in verses 11 and 12. 
that the rivers of Damascus, they are far cleaner, they are far more beautiful, they should, they, they should be just as adequate as any other river. And so why can I not go to those? How many times do we wish that God would ask us to do something the way that we want to do it, rather than the way that He wants to do it? Because that would make my life so much easier. It would make it far less challenging. But Naaman, he speaks as we do, don't we, sometimes? That we wish things would just be far easier. And that there would be fewer requirements. And yet his servant comes to him and says, Master, if there was something great that you were being asked to do that would prove your valor and prove that you are a great warrior, you wouldn't hesitate. But now you are asked to do this one simple thing. Why won't you do it? And so he must have resonated with that. He must have really considered that you're right. I need to humble myself. I need to let go of my pride. I need to humble myself and act in faithfulness and fidelity and trust in what is being asked of me. And he says in verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And I want you to see that phrase, according to the word of the man of God. That indicates that he trusted in what he was told to do and he submitted to it. That is the essence of a faith, a true faith, that he was willing to submit himself to the words of God. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, he tells us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes when we hear God's Word, and when we are attuned to what God's Word says, and when we begin to act upon that, when we hear God's Word and when we begin to do God's Word, that is the essence of what true faith really is. And what is so amazing is that in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 4, in Luke the fourth chapter, when Jesus is in Nazareth and He is beginning His ministry here on earth and His preaching and His teaching in Luke chapter 4 and in verse 21, Jesus has quoted from Isaiah the prophet and He is telling them in verse 21, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of Him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from His lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And He said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And He said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And then he goes on, after he has laid that principle that 
prophets are not welcomed where they are from, that they are usually rejected. He then, Jesus looks at several Old Testament examples of outsiders, of Gentiles, of non-Israelites who were very quick to accept God. He says in verse 25, But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. And Jesus just walks out of there unscathed. It's amazing. They're ready to kill him right there. And he just leaves. But what Jesus is trying to get them to see is that here they are in the Old Testament that you have these examples of incredible faith. When Israel was acting very wickedly during this time, in 2 Kings chapter 5, the people of Israel were behaving very wickedly. And it's Naaman, a Gentile, someone who is an outsider, that he is the one that God has chosen to heal. Because he is willing to submit to do what God says. And the principle that what Jesus is really trying to get to in Luke chapter 4 is that history is just going to repeat itself. They're going to reject Jesus. And then what's going to end up happening is that Jesus is going to be preached to all of the world, not just to Israel. But Naaman, he shows us what real faith looks like. That yes, faith is going to sometimes question. It's going to sometimes doubt God. It's going to doubt the, the plan. And it has to overcome. It has to deal with those obstacles. And it will ultimately decide to listen and to trust in God's Word. And faith will obey God's Word. Faith does not always look for the easy way. It looks for the right way. It looks for doing things God's way. And Naaman models that for us. The third point that we see is that God cares for all people. That really is evident in how Jesus appeals to Naaman in Luke chapter 4. Because the point that Jesus is making in Luke 4 is that the Gentiles were blessed when they acted by faith. Even these non-Israelites, the widow of Zarephath in Elijah's day, Naaman in Elisha's day, that here are these non-Israelites who acted and demonstrated better faith than anyone in Israel really. And yet we're told throughout the Scriptures is that 
It's Israel that were that was God's chosen people. It was Israel who was God's special nation. In the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 19, in Exodus chapter 19, this is what God said about Israel. In Exodus chapter 19 and in verse 5, He says, Now then, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, then you shall be My own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is Mine. And you shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Now Israel is going to be, have this highly exalted place among all the nations of the earth. But I would have you notice that God doesn't say, I don't care about the other nations. It's just that they are going to be having this special place because they have this covenant in which they are going to be a light to all the other nations. In the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah speaks about the mission that God has given Israel because of their exalted place throughout the earth and the covenant that God has given to them. In Isaiah chapter 49 and in verse 6, notice what Isaiah says. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That... What Isaiah is trying to impress upon Israel is that you have a responsibility. That you have the responsibility to bear My name to all the people of the earth. That My salvation can reach to all nations to the end of the earth. He's not talking about like a flat earth or something like that where you could get to that literal end of the earth. He's talking about the people. All the nations. Let the salvation of the Lord reach to all the people. That Israel, you are to be an instrument, a light that presents God to everyone. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 9, in Romans the ninth chapter, we learn of this covenant that Israel has and their special role. In Romans chapter 9, as the Apostle Paul is lamenting the fact that not all of Israel has been obedient to the Gospel, that not all of Israel has believed in Jesus Christ, he says in verse 3, "...for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites." to whom belong the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, who are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh. That Israel was given this special place. They were given the law. They were given the temple. They were given all the, the prophets and everything that belonged with the covenant. And it was all about bringing Christ into the world. That of all the nations on the earth, God chose the family of Abraham to bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world. 
And it would be very easy to think God didn't care for any other nation. And as Israel, they boasted in themselves, didn't they? They boasted in that they were the children of Abraham. They were the ones who God had chosen and elected among all the other nations. But what they forgot was that they were to be this light to all the world, that God cares for all families of the earth. All you have to do is go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, when God made those promises to Abraham, remember what He told him? In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, God told Abraham, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That Abraham and his family, the children of Israel, they had a special place, yes. But it wasn't that God didn't love all the other people in the world. It was that He had chosen them for a role to bring Jesus into the world. So that Jesus could bring salvation and blessing to the whole world. And here we see in the story of Naaman that principle played out, don't we? Here's a Gentile, a non-Israelite, a captain in the army of the enemy of Israel who was involved in some of the raids against Israel and who has a servant girl in his house from Israel. <laughs> and yet what happens in this story is that it becomes a story of healing and cleansing and salvation. Because God cares for all people. And so much of the Old Testament is mostly focused on the story of Israel and God's interactions and dealings with Israelites. You get those glimpses like with Rahab or with Naaman. These people who are non-Israelites and we get to see how they become a part of the story. And we see how this Israelite slave girl that is in Naaman's house becomes that light of salvation unto this Gentile man. And so we see that God cares for all people in this story. And so as we think about Naaman and this narrative that we've been looking at here in 2 Kings chapter 5, What I think we also need to recognize is that this is a story and a picture of our salvation. And just as God cares for all people, God wants all people to be saved, doesn't He? In the book of 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 4, Paul says that God, our Savior, is the one who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
God wants all people to be saved. He redemptively loves everybody. He gave His Son for the sins of the whole world. God wants all people to be saved. Now that doesn't mean that all people will be saved. Because God grants us a measure of free will. We can choose to accept Him or we can choose to deny Him. We can choose to obey or disobey. But God wants all people to be saved. And then secondly, what we see in the story of Naaman is that God saves us by grace through faith. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast." Salvation comes from God and from God's power. The cleansing that we undergo in baptism, as we talked about and referred to this morning, that our sins are washed away in baptism. That what you see is that there is the cleansing process that we undergo. And God saves us. That God is the one who saves us. It is His power that forgives us. There's nothing magical about the water. There's nothing magical about the experience. It's just that we are acting in faith, trusting in God's Word. Trusting that He is going to save us. God saves us by His grace when we operate with faith in trusting God. We get to look to the story of Naaman to understand what faith is. It's not an easy believism. It's a faith that will trust and operate knowing with confidence that God's Word and God's promises are something that we can take hold of. That we can enjoy the blessing and the salvation that He is offering to us. And then in the story of Naaman, you can't talk about Naaman without talking about the water, can you? And Naaman is so much, such a, a, it's funny to read because you see how we kind of operate when we are challenged with something we don't exactly want to do. We come up with excuses or we say, isn't there a better way or another plan that we could follow? And that's what Naaman does. And so many people, whenever they hear about baptism, for instance, they don't want to hear about that. They, don't, they want to say, well, that's, you're trying to earn your salvation. You're trying to work your way to heaven. And what is just amazing is that God is able to use regular things and bring about very powerful spiritual lessons. God was able to use those dirty waters and down in Israel to bring cleansing. 
for Naaman. If he can do that, don't you think he can use the water for our spiritual cleansing? Isn't that Peter's point? In 1 Peter chapter 3, and we read this this morning in verse 21 where he talks about baptism, but I want us to go back to verse 20 when he talks about Noah. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, he's talking about the days of Noah who were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And then he goes on corresponding to that. Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That God is able to use water to bring about the salvation of Noah and his family. And God is able to use baptism to bring about a spiritual cleansing, a spiritual restoration where there is filth and dirt and guilt on our conscience and He is able to restore it to be a good, whole, and clean conscience. And it's in baptism that we are asking God. It's an appeal to God. It's a request to God where we are asking for His grace to come upon us, where we are accessing that grace and asking for Him to save us. Baptism is the furthest thing from, from thinking that it's earning our salvation. It's the moment where we are humbling ourselves and asking for God to save us Amen. from our sins. We, all, we learn these lessons by looking at Naaman as a picture of God's grace and a picture of our salvation. And so, wash and be clean. Those were the words that were offered to Naaman. We see about God's grace and His mercy. We learn about the importance of our faithful obedience in doing what God has told us. We learn about God's love and the concern that He has for all people of the earth. And these are some of the most significant lessons that we could ever learn. We need to be thankful for this picture of God's grace that we learned in 2 Kings chapter 5. This evening, if you're not a child of God, we want to encourage you to become a Christian. Make your life right with the Lord. Look to the example of Naaman to understand what true faith looks like. Do you have a heart that's willing to submit to doing what God's Word has said? I hope that you do. And if you do, if you're ready to act in obedience tonight, we're ready to help you. And if you've never given your heart and your life to Christ, we want to see you do that tonight. If you have made that decision, but you've not been living faithfully for the Lord, Will you not make some changes in your life before it's eternally too late? God is willing to offer His cleansing and His forgiveness to you as well. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?